pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei of Card. Joining me today are very special guests, CCP Devs. We have the creative director of EVE Online, CCP Berger. Hello, hello, hello. And community developer, CCP Paragon. Hello, everyone. Super excited to have you both here. Um, uh, these are first-time CCP guests for us. Berger, you were definitely mentioned a lot when we had Ritati on uh, earlier this year, but... Very excited to have you both here for the first time. Super excited to be here. Uh, I hope that Ratari didn't talk too much shit about me. No, 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 no. He only threw you under the bus a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Just like him. The first thing I did was listen as I was uh, waiting uh, patiently like a hawk for the Ratati podcast to come out to listen to what had been said. So uh, you're you're fine. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm curious. Don't, don't give away any anything that would make anybody feel bad, of course. But like, we had two pretty high-profile interviews, first with Matani and then with Rutati, both dealing with a lot of the industrial changes and, and a wide range of other topics. For the devs that listened to those, what was the overall reaction? It was really good. I mean, it's, it's. I love hearing uh, kind of people view, look at. I love people kind of talking about these things from their perspectives and, and kind of hear their side of the story and their, you know, sometimes interpretation of, of what's being done. So, yeah, I really love listening to, to podcasts or, or watching shows about EVE Online. It kind of allows me to, yeah, it kind of allows me to go deeper into the game because being a dev, being in the sausage factory, it's, it's sometimes hard to see it from the eyes of the players. Yeah, just thinking back uh, a few years, um, we didn't have this back in the day. So you would pretty much only be getting the perspective of whoever you were flying with, uh, talking to them just internally. So uh, now you have this plethora of, of show, talk shows and podcasts and things you could listen to, not just as a developer, but as a player as well, to get these perspectives. I think that's, uh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in the a renaissance of Eve podcasting. There was a time when there were a lot of shows and a lot of those shows had to die off after two, three years. So then we kind of had declarations of war, maybe one or two others for a little while. And and now I think with the resurgence of Twitch and CCP's investment in the Twitch streaming community for Eve, we've seen a lot more stuff like talking in stations, dramatically expanding their podcast content, Imperium news, dramatically expanding their podcast content, uh, the Triglavian Times, which I was just on this morning. And I want to give a really special shout out to Carneros and Matterall for their great work covering the dev blog that we're here to talk about, um, kind of live as it happened with in Carneros' case, and then Matterall kind of giving his reaction stream to that, and then also having you guys for a, a very informative Q&A, which also involved taking live questions from players, which I thought was super cool and very brave of you guys to do. Yeah, definitely. I I want to echo that shout out. Like these, these two have definitely been you know on their A game, uh, covering these things. And yeah, super cool. 
But actually, on the on the live questions, I think that's that's one of my favorite parts about player events, and one of the things that I'm super excited about getting back into uh, now that now that this pandemic seems to be clearing uh, a bit, at least here in Iceland. Um, yeah, getting back back on stage to answer some oftentimes quite harsh live questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to be going back to Iceland this year. I was surprised, actually, that you guys were going to do a fan fest this year, but I was very happy about it. Yeah, we haven't we haven't had fan fest since uh, last fan fest in Reykjavik was in 2018 because we went on world tour in 2019. Mm-hmm. So 20, yeah. So this is this is really needed. Like fan fest is. I love FanFest. I love to, to meet uh, Eve Place. I love to hang out. I love to drink with them. I love to talk shop. But FanFest is, uh, is incredibly important for the developers here in Iceland because, you know, day after day, you're working on, you know, you're working on a bug, you're working on a feature, you're working on something. You kind of, you have your blinders on and, and you're kind of heads down trying to solve something and you just feel like everything is going backwards and nothing is really working. Um, but events like FanFest really allow us to take a step back and, and view EVE as a kind of in a broader perspective. And, and it kind of allows developers to see the beauty of, of what they create and like how incredibly amazing and important EVE Online is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, FanFest and Reykjavik, long overdue, and I can't wait. I'm, I'm so excited. I've actually started uh, working on my keynote. And it's like, oh, yeah, just less than 10 weeks to FanFest. I've never been this timely, so. <laughs> you know, I was going to bring up FanFest later on in the interview, but I feel like since we're talking about it, let's talk about it. That's um, So we, we've got a bunch of announcements, and believe me, audience, we are going to go through all of them. And I have the benefit of uh, having listened to the Q&A stream that Talking In Stations already did, so hopefully we can do some follow-ups on some of those things. Um, but besides game announcements and new feature reveals or new technology reveals, what should people expect out of FanFest? People that maybe they started playing in the last three years and they've never been to one or haven't seen one streamed live. What kind of stuff goes on? Oh, there's so much shenanigans. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we're gonna have some. We're gonna have some uh, favorites, definitely. I mean, pub crawl, uh, charity dinner, party at the top of the world. Um, but then, you know, fan fest. It's a lot about meeting other Eve players. It's a lot. It's a lot about like meeting people who people you've heard on comms. Uh, meeting people face to face that you you know might have been flying with for for a while and it's always it's always so amazing to like finally meet these people you know face to face you might have seen them on like on video or whatever but just that three dimensional element that that some have forgotten during this covid era um is amazing and just you know talking about eve online talking about you know the all things even and, and then then more. So, yeah, FanFest is a really special event. Uh, yeah, that's that's. It's it's really hard to describe, you know, unless unless you're you're there. I was gonna say say the same thing. It's it's really special because you're meeting. You're you're going to be surrounded by people who have the exact same passion uh, as you, and 
uh, it's really the only place where you, as a dedicated Eve player, kind of drop your Eve persona as well, and it becomes more uh, you uh, interacting with other people. Like you don't care about alliances or allegiances anymore. You just uh, enjoy meeting these people and talking to them. Uh, so yeah, special is is probably the only word that can capture that. Yeah, I had a lot of good experiences at the fan fest that I went to, but I think the most vivid and cherished was running into Varone in a stairwell, uh, aka CCP Falcon, before he was CCP Falcon, like just before I think, and uh, Vito, the CEO, the corp that he was CEO of, was was legendary. Definitely one of the inspirations for the corp that I run now. And he was kind of a legendary figure, and he was so nice and generous with his time. I think we wound up talking for about a half hour, literally in the stairwell between two floors. And he was it was just such a cool feeling. And then I wound up spending a lot of time with him and the other Vito guys that were all there um, for a lot of the rest of the weekend. It was just such a great experience to get a taste of the kind of community they were able to build around Eve. It was very cool. Yeah, definitely. And like that's that's the really I mean Reykjavik is a tiny city. So like during FanFest there are like Eve players in every single bar in Reykjavik. So it, it almost doesn't matter where you kind of go, you can always just sit down at the random table. You see some, you know, people mark you know, with some Eve swagger on. Uh and yeah, you 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 make new friends, you learn about new playstyles, you learn about like things you've never done in the game before, and and it it kind of broadens broadens the horizon, and and you definitely end up with a lot of awesome awesome Eve friends. I met Convict at Funfest. First time I ever met him. The the another member of the community team. I think it was twenty sixteen or seventeen where we first met, and back then we were both players, and now we're both on the community team. I think that's uh, kind of a kind of a nice story. Oh, that's super cool. Well, let's talk about that. Let's pivot into you guys. We we haven't had you on the show before. Traditionally, when we have a first-time guest, of course, we want to get a little bit about their background, let the audience get to know them a bit better. CCP Paragon, how did you get into EVE the company? But before that, how did you get into EVE the game? Where did your passion start? So I got into EVE. I was introduced to it by a friend uh, back in... 2006 or 2007, something like that. And uh, they had been playing the game religiously since 2003. So they're all Icelandic uh, local EVE players. Uh, and they uh, they were a little older than me, but they lived in my town. So they were like, hey, let's, uh, let's show this guy this game. And uh, uh, I remember... They being sort of, it's the most uh, handheld moment I've ever had in uh, joining a game. I was uh, on watch just like 24/7 whenever I played, but uh, it was it was a it was a lot of fun. So it, it's been a quite the journey for me. And uh, when it comes to joining CCP, um, I actually tried a couple times before. I've only been here for two years now. But I did try a couple times before, uh, didn't work. But um, uh, I've always had like my sights on on CCP, obviously, Eve being my favorite game, uh, and just uh, having worked in uh, uh, relations to games uh, here in Iceland in general for the past uh, 
10 years or so. It's been, uh, you know, it, it, that dream uh, that I've been chasing for a while and uh, a couple of years ago finally happened. So super happy to be here. And let's talk about your role. Um, what what was your background prior to EVE professionally and what is your role now? What does a community developer do? I was a uh, working mostly for multimedia companies, um, uh, usually around marketing. And uh, that was sort of my uh, day job for the most part. Um, but uh, my passion was uh, esports. So uh, I've been part of the esports movement in Iceland since maybe not its beginning, but since it, we wanted to make it like uh, a mainstream. So I was uh, up until the end there uh, an esports uh, organizer, I guess is a nice title to put put it. But we um, so we held the tournaments uh, and you know did 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 commentating on on various games that I've played and uh, tried to try to um, uh, be good at. Uh, so that's that's a bit, that's my background there. Yeah. As a community developer. Uh, well, the community team is uh, it's a very special team when it comes to well, any any video game company. Uh, these are the people who are most directly in touch with the player base. Um, we have uh, well similar titles, but uh, our roles we have shared tasks, but then we have specialized roles which are quite different, and they mostly focus around. Um, the scale at which we're dealing with, for example, um, Swift is um, with the um, with the partners and influencers and stuff like that, more on a personal level, and I'm more on sort of a a macro level or a large scale level of where where my focus is. So it's well, you know, community developer is kind of sounds like you have a foot in two worlds. Is it more of community management or are you actually coding product and putting that out for players? Um, well, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, we are a community managers in function, but, um, at CSP, we, we are a little more self-sufficient when it comes to our projects. For example, the alliance tournament, um, the tool and, uh, that's used behind that was entirely coded by CSP Aurora. Um, oh, I see. If we if we if you have a problem to solve, like me, I'll I'll write my own like SQL query to collect information if I need to do that. So we are we are very self sufficient when it comes to most of our projects. So if if <laughs> coding is is an interesting example, we don't very often do that. We do that in terms to the alliance tournament, but uh, we we do most things ourselves. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. Are there any uh, any aspects of this release in particular that you got to work on? Is that something you can say? Like the dev blog and all the features that were mentioned in it? Yeah. Uh, well, my primary role is uh, publishing. Uh, so ah, yeah. when it comes to dev blogs and uh, stuff we put on a large scale, things that are meant to be read by everyone, that's something I work on every day. Um, and it's it could be dev blogs, news items, pods notes, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, definitely. Brilliant. Thank you for your work on that. It's, keeps a podcast like ours a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, been harping on it a lot, but 
these conversations, this is exactly what um, we're trying to make. So I'm just real happy that I'm here and um, I'm experiencing the, the fruit of my own labor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I well, was super excited to have you as well. CCP Burger, sorry to keep you waiting. Oh, uh, how did you discover Eve? Um, so, I mean, Eve was a, it was a massive thing when, when it came out in 2003 in Iceland. So everyone heard about it. Everyone in the grandmother heard about it. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't join CCP until, uh, I joined CCP in 2010. So I've been here almost 12 years. Um, I started at a way, like at a way different, in a way different role, at a way different end than, than I'm in right now. So uh, I studied architecture and, and is trained as an architect and worked as an architect for, for quite some years. Um, and I joined CCP as a, as a contractor um, to help out with World of Darkness, um, where I was basically hired into to build cities and houses for a uh, uh, video game, which was a brand new and very, very bizarre thing uh, at the time for me. Um, and yeah, I'm still here 12 years later. Uh, I stayed in Atlanta for uh, four and a half years working on that game and then uh, came to Iceland in 2014. Um, and since then, I've, I've done various jobs at, uh, on EVE. Started out as a creative producer, really helping kind of bridging the gap between the different um, creative directors. So the, the art director, game design director, and the audio director. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of moved into a more of a traditional uh, production role, uh, where I started, uh, where I both uh, formed a couple of, of teams and, uh, yeah, helped out with kind of homeless teams, so kind of more kind of squad type teams where, you know, you had team members of various teams creating, like, the a narrative team and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and some of the teams that I helped kind of establish were uh, Team Psych Sisters, the, the, the very old uh, UI team that, that redid the camera and, and <clears throat> did the infamous beta map that seems to be an endless beta. Uh, and then uh, Team Phenomenon, who, who, was respons- who were responsible for for the um, new or the newer behavior AI, the diamond NPCs, as they were called. Back mm. then. Um, so we did like the original, we did the original um, mining operations for the operating bases, shipyards, uh, Caroline Star, the the very old uh, roaming drifters, and and beautiful things like that. So yeah, my my kind of my early interest in in yeah when i just joined eve uh, i was very focused on this idea of of trying to bring the the lore and the narrative more into the center of the game uh, i really felt like back then that a lot of the pve was was kind of happening outside um outside the core of the game like the the conversation back in 2014 was very much pvp 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 um and uh yeah PVE felt a little bit like a a side thing that that people didn't really you know pay too much attention to, um, and then you know through some research and and uh, studies we found out that a lot of sessions in Eva of course ran uh, single player and, and in a PVE kind of a format, 
So we started kind of doubling down and really investigating and learning and just expanding that uh, capabilities with things like Abyssal Dead Space and, and so on and so forth. Um, I stepped into the role of creative, creative director in 2018, uh, mid-year 2018. Uh, and just before that, I was kind of, uh, I had few hats. I was also the art manager alongside running Team Phenomenon. And yeah, I mean, me and Paragon, we we're both Icelanders. We were brought up in like, if you can only do one thing, you will probably die. You know, that's kind of the Icelandic thing. You have to be able to... <laughs> that's true. So <laughs> like, true. Catch fish and build the building and, you know, do some programming. <laughs> so yeah, we, we have a hard time kind of keeping a single job. But yeah, I've been creative director since uh, 2018. And yeah, that's kind of my, my story with, with uh, CCP. But yeah, I started playing the game uh, late 2010s, early 2011, um, did a whole heap of nothing for the first few years, uh, except apart from like running a, a small CCP uh, corporation, which was really difficult because my my uh, Atlantan friends were playing at all times. Uh, and yeah, as of lately, I've been I mostly fly in high sack and low sack, uh, mostly fly alone. But yeah, been been doing a lot of wormholes in in the pan- during the pandemic. I don't know. There's something mm. about being stuck at home and being lost in wormholes. There's something quite romantic about it. I think you weren't isolated enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about create being creative director. We had Ritati on. He talked mm-hmm. about there being kind of like a a small group that is determining the the direction of Eve, and each of you kind of takes responsibility for different aspects of that. Yeah. Um, Rattati has been recently the public face of a lot of releases. I noticed for this one, you seem to be very heavily involved in the community rollout. Could you talk a little bit about, um, from your perspective, how the dynamics of the senior leadership of EVE Online's creative direction works and what you view your role is in that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we work, me, Rattati, and uh, CSP Shreddy, uh, we work extremely closely together. We all we all share an office, um, uh, and we sit within like an arm's reach of each other. So uh, myself, so oftentimes like when we describe it, so I'm the creative director. So I I pick the mountain that we're gonna uh, that we're gonna climb and kind of you know what what what, what flag on that mountain we're gonna climb to. Uh, then Rakari as the as the director of product, he basically you know figures out the out the roots to that to that flag, and then uh, CCP Shreddy, the production director, basically gets everyone into cars or hiking boots or whatever, uh, and gets them actually marching up the mountain. We of course like we of course uh, are responsible for different elements on on that route. Like uh, me personally, I'm responsible for for uh, the art direction, the game design direction, and the audio direction and UI UX direction as of lately. Um, so yeah, we have our different responsibilities within that, uh, but we work extremely close together. And uh, over the last, yeah, over the last year or so, like I've spent a lot of my time has gone into the new player experience and kind of onboarding new players, um, while Ratari has been focusing a little more on the on the uh, challenge of the core. Um, but you know, nothing goes out without kind of both of us 
duking it out and and figuring out uh, the nitty gritties of things. Um, but luckily, we have a super fantastic dev team, and we try to run the team like we try to run the team as kind of bottom bottom up as we can, uh, but with kind of you know a healthy amount of of goal setting and chartering that's that's mm-hmm. uh, done by us and supported by us to the team. But the Eve Dev team is a relatively small development team, kind of when you look at the gaming industry. So yeah, working bottoms up is is way more efficient than like trying to be a, a I don't know evil gatekeeper that that uh, has to stop everything and and scream at people and tell people what to do. <laughs> well, you know, and I think it would be so easy to get into that in a game that is as old as Eve. You know, you could you could be very addicted to the status quo. So that's cool oh. to see that you give them a a lot of disruptive ground up opportunities yeah absolutely and the 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 thing with eve is like eve is so big and it's so vast and it's so difficult to have a a deep understanding of everything that's going on so we do a lot of like there's a lot of knowledge sharing we we depend a lot on like i mean i depend a lot on, on people like paragon or 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 convict or you know fossey or rice or whoever to you know, to give me a, a deeper insight to a thing that they specialize in, and and likewise, like they, we 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 talk a lot among each other, and we share a lot, and you know, I'm I might be a master of one thing that that the next person has no idea about, and I think you know through collaboration and w- working together, uh, you know, talking with the CSM, talking with the community, that's that's how we get you know get to the best product. But of course, there are times where we need to make tough decisions. So there are times that. You know, we need to kind of, you know, we need to we need to break some eggs to to make an omelet, and and uh, you know, those are the times that that me and Ratari and Shreddy, you know, we have to step up and 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 yeah, eat our vegetables. Well, everything has to start somewhere, like you said, and let's hop right into this dev blog here with the new mining NPE that we've got going on. Yeah. Definitely. This sure. seems like you are happy with how the the air storyline based NPE has been working so far, and you're kind of looking to expand that into other aspects of the gameplay. And I've heard from the talking station street, you actually have some pretty encouraging metrics around it. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in September, we actually rolled out we we rolled out the the first chapter of. Uh, of our new nuclear experience, um, which is this air storyline. And I mean, we've been struggling for, to be 100% honest, we've been struggling for almost 19 years, 18 years at least, uh, on nuclear experience. Like how in the world do you teach EVE Online? And, you know, there is a perfect answer for it. You know, players are great at teaching all the players how to play EVE, but the problem is, there's a huge problem because there, you know, the this this barrier of entry in actually socializing and talking in chat and and you know being on on voice is it's a super intimidating thing for a lot of people and asking for help is a scary thing. So you know we we need to provide the basic teaching, the the teaching people the core competencies of uh, of playing the game. So. Uh, throughout the years, like 
we've done various versions of the new player experience, everywhere from extremely handheld on rails uh, experiences to completely learn, you know, learn as you go, uh, and and you know, even to a point where we've been like, we've even tested like, hey, let's not teach anything and just <laughs> kick them into the deep end of the pool and see what happens, and that did not go well. Um, but yeah, so so we decided uh, in 2019 that that we really had to kind of double down and really do it, like. You know, it's either it's either like you know, if you want the game to live forever, you need new players, you need new blood to come in. You can't just rely on on the old because then you know, ultimately people will, you know, the game will just die with with people. Sadly, yeah, or um, die. Yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. So we decided rather than like talking about it and and uh, like we had been doing for a while and just kind of throwing random teams at this uh, we decided in 2019 to double down and and really start uh, working towards this and right now we have uh, we have kind of three key uh, company bats or EVE, uh, EVE Online bats, development bats they're called uh, the first one is Embrace New Players, uh, the second one is Challenge the Core and the third one is uh, Growth in All Markets and embrace new players is definitely the, the has been the biggest bet that we've been been spending on and really kind of you know getting our yeah, yeah kind of staring staring pink elephants in the eyes uh, definitely um, and within that I mean there is a big part of the work there is definitely on on uh, the air NP but we also have a team focused on uh, progression um, that's a team that's been been looking at. Uh, the skill plans and kind of skills in general as skills as primary progression, but they're also they've also been looking at uh, wealth and uh, career progression, uh, and they're doing some really really exciting stuff that we'll talk more about at FanFest. Um, and then the third team in this group is a UI UX team called Team Pathfinder, uh, which is focused on kind of core interactions with the game and. Uh, you know they're kind of looking at inconsistencies in the UI and how we can kind of stop the bleeding and fix the stupid when it comes to some of our questionable UX practices or you know the, all the best decisions made at the time uh, when they were made but you know they were maybe made in 2008 so bad old UI um, yeah so that's that's kind of the three teams so it's not only only uh, this advent- this kind of nuclear adventure team, but you know, no, no great adventure will ever fix bad UI and, and vice versa. Uh, but if we go back to the go back to the uh, nuclear adventure, so yeah, Team Odyssey has been been responsible for the nuclear experience, and that's a it's a really fantastic team that we put together uh, with a good balance of game design and narrative design, and we really wanted to. To kind of find a good balance between a narrative opening to the game with an engaging storyline, and a, a kind of a fairly good kind of learn as you go balance in a way. So, but this, the experience starts with a very hand holding hand holding kind of moment, uh, and as you kind of you know get used to the the basics of the game, we start to kind of hunt you off into giving you directions uh, and, and allowing you to, to kind of 
do it at your own pace and, and you know, as you like it. Some of the things that we're kind of, you know, we've taught the basics of navigation and, and compact now, uh, but in March we're teach, starting, you know, we really want to get people into, into mining because mining is a great, I mean, it's a great way to make, uh, make ISK as a new player. And it's also, it's also a place that we haven't really taught uh, in EVE. Like we did it back in the days, but we haven't really, you know, in the, in the last few years, we've kind of relied on, on other, other means to, to uh, learn it. And it's definitely been, you know, a, a drawback to, for new players because one of the biggest issues new players have is like, how do you make money? How do I, you know, what should I do? Why should I be playing this game? And, and knowing how to mine and knowing the basics of industry kind of gives you a, a really good early goal in, in the game. Um, so we're planning to, to release this in uh, February, giving new players more core competencies to, to, um, to uh, make a good living in EVE. And then uh, we're planning to continue and, and really dive into other playstyles, exciting playstyles for new players to, to fall in love with EVE. That's fabulous. Will that have a... a component of connecting them with player corporations or is it more walking them through the various in-game features so uh as of right now we're still kind of we're still in the very like we're still in the first session of gameplay uh with this mining adventure uh we saw the medium session length in september when we released the first uh first part of the year mp we saw the medium session length go from around 17 minutes up to around 23 minutes, which is a massive, massive, massive jump. And uh, we're actually expecting to, to see this medium first session length grow uh, way more with this, with this mining adventure. Um, and we know that like kind of first interactions with all the players, like it's, it's really hard to expect uh, to kind of you know break through that wall in their first session it's more something that happens maybe you know second third fourth fifth session where they really start to kind of go reach out to other other players and, and start chatting but this step is something we we want to um kind of move more focus to uh after we've kind of taught in the uh, basics of mining um gotcha. so yeah second third session is definitely definitely where we want to start to connect um yeah, players to to player corps because we, I mean, we have these we have these magic moments in Eve that we've found and and you know when players when players find a corp that you know accepts them and, and takes them in like that's that's really magical like I mean that that's kind of the moment where the game stops being a game and it starts to be you know about the community, um, but then like the ultimate magic moment is is when you join another player in a fleet. And you die, and that player tells you why you died. Like that is mm-hmm. that is the proper magic moment of Eve. And if we've just seen it, if this happens to a player, that's like that's a moment when they get it. That's like the moment Eve clicks for them, and and they really really fall in love with the game. So yeah, kind of trying to build players towards those kind of golden moments um, in game that makes them fall in love with the fall in love with the world. I guess the thing that you're looking for is that what is that number? What is that metric that we can move to get a higher percentage of players to those moments? 
Yeah, and I mean, right now we're kind of racing. Uh, kind of the metric that we're looking at right now is is uh, 120 minutes in space. That's like a, we see that the, that's like a really it's a really interesting point where when people have kind of spent yeah two hours in space, uh, things start to you kind of you've kind of stopped you've kind of gotten over this initial overwhelming of the game. You know, it's a massive, it's a massive game. It's huge. It's dramatic. It's like, you know, you've heard all these, you know, stories about backstabbing people that will, you know, gag you on gates. Uh, um, but you kind of, you know, you go in and you start to, you start to realize that, that, you know, it's, there's some, it's not as harsh as you, <laughs> you know, as, as right. you might have heard, and and there's actually a lot to do, and and you know, people start to kind of find their place slowly. But yeah, that that kind of first 120 minutes in space—that's definitely the number that we're marching towards right now. Um, and yeah, it's super exciting. I want to pivot to talking about the new Pocos, or well, the same Pocos, but they're getting a hit point reduction. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talking like how this is going to really incentivize Poco Warfare. I want to get some clarification from you. Is it the gantry itself, which is deployed and then upgraded, which is getting a hit point reduction? Or is it the structure itself getting a hit point reduction? It's the gantry. The gantry is the one that's getting the nerf. Okay, so they will take the same amount of time and effort to actually reinforce and actually repair. I think yeah. there's been a lot of confusion on that point in a lot of the shows that I've listened to. Yeah, it's the country. I think it. We, uh, <laughs> this is the. <laughs> so when we're uh, putting the dev blog out, uh, this word was added five minutes before it was published uh, <laughs> to, to specify. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's the country, and it's also the um, the the suspect timer, which uh, which plays another thing. You can't just instantly like drop another one and now. Like you're, you're you're stuck again, or you're in the same position. And what specifically triggers that suspect timer? Deploying, shooting. Uh, it's uh, it's when you deploy. Pretty sure. So the the presumably the hauler that drops it will take a suspect flag. Yeah, I admit that this is not the one that I know that much about, but uh, I think it's the suspect timer. So if you if you drop a new one, you you have a timer, yeah, so someone can shoot it. Will the structure itself have, or the person? I guess the question. Because if it's the person, you know, they've already put it down. It's not that helpful. It's. Uh, I understand it, that it's the gantry. Like uh, when I've been wow. talking to people, it, it's. I, I think so. I fully admit that I'm not exactly sure of this change, but. Uh, as I understand it, like the issue I am aware of is that you drop, like you can just drop another, the other one blows up, and then you instantly drop another Gendry, uh in an off corp, and then you transfer it later. Uh, yeah, it's so, very frustrating. Yeah, you, so, you can, so that's the issue they're trying to solve. Like, so I, I would assume that it's the Gendry itself that you can shoot. You invest the war deck potentially, you invest the time to reinforce it, show up, you kill, win whatever fight. If there's a fight, you kill it, and then it's kind of a race to be the first person to press the button. And it's you versus the entire universe. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. Um, I'm excited to see that. And are you able to confirm that this is explicitly a feature from the recent Bjorn B versus Omega fight? That was, I mean, the, the Omega 
Poco conflicts have been going on for like two years now. Uh, but Bjorn B has brought them into a much higher state of visibility by streaming them and getting his community involved. Uh, I've seen, I've seen this been complained about uh, a lot, and this has been brought up before. Uh, so it's not the case that uh, it was an eye opener when we saw it, but uh, I think uh, someone had enough when he saw it and decided just like, you know what? I have the ability to just not make this bad. Let me just fix it. Nice. And, uh, and he did. So sometimes it's, it's triggers like those where that, that sets us off to action. This isn't the first time that's happened. Um, and hopefully it won't be the last. I know some people will probably complain that XYZ feature didn't get fixed instead, but yeah, I mean, at some point enough is enough. And if you have the power to change it, please do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, this is definitely one of those things that's been talked about for a very long time. Like, you know, how can we improve these? And then it was a, it was a developer watching, uh, watching a Bjorn B stream that basically said, no, I can't have it anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. he brought it forward. So, like, I mean, it, that, that's also the, like we were talking earlier about being kind of bottoms, bottoms up and trying to be, uh, you know, try to be agile and try to move relatively fast when we can. Like, of course, some features you can't move fast on because they're just big and complicated. Uh, but this one, you know, it, it it sounded sane and it sounded like a sane way of of, of testing it out and, and seeing if it works. And I mean, if it if it goes belly up, then, you know, maybe we'll, we'll take another look at it or roll it back. But, you know, if it's going to be great, I think it's going to be great, you know. Let's do it. I think it's probably going to work out. I do have a question on, on follow-ups to this. Uh, Ritati mentioned, and we didn't really get into it because we had a lot to discuss, but um, that you guys were looking at some of the um, the economic outputs of uh, planetary interaction, uh, like volumes and presumably other things. Um, should we expect more changes around POCOs this year or the 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 PI interface or outputs, how will that interact with the various economic changes that you guys are thinking about right now? Yeah, I mean, we definitely had a lot of conversations about uh, PI um, during, you know, during these, uh, during the economic changes we've been going through over the last uh, last 18 months. And uh, I think as of right now, we're not, you know, we don't have anything specific on the on the drawing table. There's a lot of conversations going on. Um, I think there's a I think there's a lot of opportunities in in PI. Uh, I actually I managed to uh, my daughter got COVID during Christmas, um, so it was just me and her stuck at home. So I decided to to uh, brush the dust off of some of my old PI. Alts and and got really deep into PI again, uh, and and we you know was reminded about the greatness of you know some of the greatnesses of PI and also some of the not so greatnesses of PI. <laughs> um, but right now, like I mean, there's a there have definitely been a lot of conversations about PI, but we don't have anything concrete to talk about or or concrete changes that we're we're looking at uh, kind of in the in the short term. After that, uh, let's pivot to Rorquals. 
uh, specifically curious about the conduit jumping. We had a discussion about this at Triglavian Times this morning. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a cool option to start mining. It sounds like a very dangerous option to have if you're already mining. We've, I know you've mentioned that you're going to keep an eye out for abuse. My question more is, what do you understand abuse of this mechanic to mean? And what options are you considering to address it? I think it's a similar questions were asked when we introduced the block ops co- uh, thing, like the jumpy thing, uh, where you could have spies who could just like jump things around. Is that what you're asking about? Like, what is the? Uh, actually, my angle as someone who usually hunts rules rather than uses them is: mm-hmm. oh, yeah. we finally oh. catch one out in space. We are about to warp in. They don't even need to warp to their Athenor anymore. They can just conduit jump to whatever. Sino beacon is within range, like a sub structure. Yeah, so they won't be able to conduit jump if they're um, if they have their industrial core active. So they're sort of like seized in the in the belt or in the in the like the moon belt they're in. So they won't be instantly able to uh, able to do that. Um, in terms of hunting them, it's also a little bit more incentivized to uh, like to bring them out with these changes, and then they post and they're stuck in the belt. Uh, so, the, like uh, the 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 smaller ships, they're gonna warp to the to the citadel and tether like without. It, it, so if we're just theorycrafting in like the current setup, not factoring for any future citadel changes, but it's still like the Rorkel still is gonna be stuck when you when you enter the system. And then the question is uh, like, what's gonna happen to the rest of the fleet? But they won't be able to. Just jump out whenever they want. They they're 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 kind of stuck there with the indie core on. Well, presumably you could have one one coring up and the other there to conduit jump the fleet out if they needed to escape. Yeah, they're they're not a um, yeah. I mean, they can warp to a structure or, or conduit jump out. Um, yeah, I mean they they can warp. My my point would be warping requires at least some time. Whereas with my understanding of conduit jumps are effectively instant. Which is both their attractiveness and kind of a, the drawback for putting that on a PVE ship. Yeah, they're still working on uh, like the the actual conduit jump itself. It's it's probably not going to come uh, with the rest of the compression. It's going to come like a week or two later. But they're working on ways on like how to uh, like uh, uh, how to like make it work, so to speak. But I, I see what you mean. You could like uh, you could have a work there and just instantly jump everyone else out. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times, at, at, at least at the size fleets that we tend to run, actually killing the Rorqual is a bit of a tall order. Um, mm. But catching some of the ships around it and you know isolating them from the Rorqual with a boosh or yeah. various other tactics that makes the fight a little more possible. We don't have to worry about breaking a cap ship tank. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this is definitely things that that we're uh, looking at right now. And I mean, the the challenging things about changes like this is that it's so hard to kind of think about all the different options, all the different met- meta that people will, will kind of figure out. So, and and you can't really you can't really test it on on our testers because you know. It, once it hits TQ, it becomes real, and then you know the stakes become real, and people really start to try to break it as as hard as they can, so they can find that that niche of a niche of a niche 
gameplay. Um, so this is always like with big chains like this, we we keep a very close eye on on kind of how the meta plays out and and kind of are there healthy game you know play styles that that emerge or or if there are unhealthy uh, play styles that that emerge and that goes kind of both directions. You have to have like you, you have to every play needs to have a counterplay and you can't just it can't be a, a too easy easy of an out or or an impossible thing to ever escape with. So it's a you're always trying to find that balance. Yeah, yeah the, so design, the design point of this is not to give them like a get out of free jail card to buff miners so they're more happy. Like that's not the that's not the point. As I understand it. No, no, no. Now I mean I've already heard some some very I would consider pretty cool uses for the conduit jump of just taking your mining fleet if you're large enough from moon to moon in the same gameplay session if you can clear them out. Yep. That sounds pretty awesome. A little bit on Pandos stream on Friday and then I tested it out um this weekend. And it's uh it wasn't with a jump, but just uh setting up a few uh Exumers in a belt with a work, and they have like uh, they can mine pretty much everything, uh, and compress it wherever they are. And then just thinking about okay, and then I can actually just turn off the industrial core and just sino into the next one. I don't have to take H or like manage any of the other characters. Or if you're just like a solo character for the bus ride, it's 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 just a luxurious thing uh, compared to. If you downgrade to like an Orca or or if you compress in station, if you're if you're not doing Moon, um, like if you're not compressing Mungu, then um, you know it's nice. Absolutely, I'm I'm not a big miner, but I like I even I understand the appeal of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just it, it's more luxurious gameplay. It's just uh, to the already calm experience of mining. Yeah, and it's great. Like the the. Uh, the industrialists at CCP, the miner, the hardcore miners at CCP, like just seeing the stars in their eyes, like the rats from the block came to us, like, does this mean this? And you're like, yes, it means that. Oh, and then half an hour later they come back, like, wait, 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 wait. So does this means mean that? And you're like, yes. Oh, so it's just been, yeah, it's been like this uh, since the block went out. So yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> Uh, speaking of compression, um, oh, actually, let me do this. First of all, I want to give a shout out to CCP Swift on the TAS stream who clarified that the increase in jet can volume that is coming out with this patch is a product of the Doctor Who crossover. Thank you so much. <laughs> As everyone knows, Time Lord technology makes things bigger on the inside. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I made my day to hear that reference. So, so good. Thank you. So good. Um. I do have a question about about size, though, and maybe this is a stupid question because I'm not a miner, but if we have instant lossless compression in and out of space with a wide variety of ships and structures now, what what is the point of having the compression mechanic compared to just reducing the volume of ore when it is mined? Yeah, so you have... Um, yeah, so... The per, like the the problem that the compression tackles is a logistics problem, but uh, th- that has various costs associated to it. One of those costs being time. So when you compress things, uh, you have to 
decompress them. And that means that there's going to be some loss attached to that. You can also choose not to do that, and then you get the full amount, which is slightly better. And one of the bottlenecks or, or, or issues, um, whichever word you want to prefer in the current industry, is, is the amount of things you have to move. Um, so you collect resources, and then you want to move them somewhere. And compression, uh, in the way it's set up with this new system, is just... Um, it simplifies like the 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 most annoying step of it, which is to you know it's just instant, right? So the previous idea was that it would take some time and there are some other factors associated to it, but it's just removed entirely now. Now you can just instantly compress if you want to move it somewhere, or if you're just doing it extremely locally. Uh, like within the same system or constellation or, or somewhere where you can just uh, shotgun freighters with a Titan or something, it's easy. But uh, it's a, it's a choice fa- design, pretty much. So you can pick and choose. And I, I presume the amount of loss associated with that process is something that can be balanced over time as needed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, numbers can be tweaked. Uh, it's also... Uh, like um, uh, the reason I think it's cool is that like if you are if you only care about gathering the resources if you only care about mining and you don't care who you sell it to then you can just compress it and put it in your hangar and forget about it you can sell it to someone else and then it becomes his problem to handle the efficiency problem like the refiner now you can be vertically integrated and try to do both or, or more things but if you just focus on the the job of the miner, uh, he is now able to pull in a, a lot more resources. It's a lot. Uh, it's very easy for him to compress. Uh, so that makes some some interesting choices there, as well as just uh, improving that role in particular. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, why not just make all all, you know, everything compressed from the get go? I mean, you can compress if you have these have these uh, industrial command ships out in the field. So it's higher risk. Uh, it's more upfront cost. Um, and, you know, they become they become pinatas for hunters that want to wanna come catch them. So rather than just kind of, you know, doubling, doubling everything, uh, we're basically, you know, players need to invest to do this in space. Um, gotcha. Which will, will create more risk and create more fun for, you know, People that I've heard that like like hunting, you know, uh, miners. <laughs> <laughs> in, in fairness, I, I've I've caught and let go a few that were too small. You're so kind. What? <laughs> so kind. You gotta throw them back in the river sometimes. They gotta grow for next year. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> if you're super successful, you would do that. I uh, I would probably not do that. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, this is a great transition into combat. Um, we've got a few combat-related questions. We'll start on a PvE kick, since we've been talking about that, and then we'll kind of rotate more to the PvP stuff. Um, this isn't directly addressed in the blog, but while I have you here, Berger, i, I got to ask you about it. The dynamic bounty system, mm-hmm. um, very controversial. Some people really like it. Some people get a lot of value out of it. Some people that are really hardcore into PvE feel like it, it 
really oppresses them in terms of cutting down their income, forcing them to play the game and they don't want to play. Recently, you made a change addressing uh, the dynamic bounty system where the bounties fall below 100%. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that ISK now goes into the main bank. Yeah. Uh, so my it, guess, my overall question is, are you happy with the main bank gameplay concept and the way it interacts with the ESS? It's actually an increase to uh, everything, direct payments, main bank and reserve bank, but the majority of it goes into the reserve bank of what was previously being lost. So you no longer go under the 100% value of the NPC. This And that gets split between the direct payments, main bank and reserve bank. Uh, but the, the, the majority of what's missing goes into the reserve bank. Yeah, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, the... the... I, I, and I guess the wider context of my question is a lot of players are unhappy with the experience of the main banks, both getting into them and what it does when they go through what it takes to complete them. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the, the dynamic bounty system and and uh, the ESS were definitely part of, of uh, tackling that uh, larger problem that we, we had been facing for quite a while. I mean, there are systems in EVE that have just become famous for, for uh, <laughs> I don't know, one-way murder streets um, where people have just chewed through through NPCs like there is no tomorrow um, for a relatively, you know, simple buck. Um, and the dynamic bounty system is a, is a, is a way to kind of uh, get people to move and get people to, to move around more. Um, and the ESS is then another is is kind of a step two to that to that uh, problem where we're uh, adding a little bit more risk to kind of gathering these bounties and and getting these bounties. I think there has been a very there's been a lot of really healthy conversations about the banks and the functionality of the banks and kind of you know the whole key business and things like that. And I think there you know that's something that we're still uh, very actively looking at and and you know, studying and, and, and uh, kind of sharpening. Um, but in many ways, like, I think the, the dynamic bounty system is, is uh, you know, it has, it has forced people to start moving around a lot more. Um, it has forced, you know, large, large groups in small spaces to, to, you know, it has forced them to expand. Um, because at some point you can't, you can't, you know, properly sustain a, a massive group in small space. Um, so, in many ways, I think it's it's. Uh, I understand it's controversial. I understand the controversies that people are talking about, but I, I do think there has been a lot of benefit um, with these systems. Um, on the on the ES, ESS specifically, like the, it's something that we're still uh, very much looking at. Um, we've seen a lot of very interesting emergent gameplay that's happened through the ESS, um, specifically kind of Needlejack plus ESS uh, pirating, which is a which is, seems to be a, a, yep. a fantastic. I I at least really love that uh, game style. We engage in that very frequently. We just did a, a fleet to that effect yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, 
I some somehow I managed to be killed after like my fifth ESS um, always. So there's a you guys know your names. Um, there is a very happy group of players that that has gotten a lot of of uh, tokens from me. <laughs> uh, yeah, on the same gate always. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I think there's a a. a um... Well, maybe, I don't know if it's because people haven't experienced it, and maybe that's part of the issue. I think there's a, a break in people's minds between their experience with the ESS, the thing you warp in, you connect to it, five minutes. Sometimes you'll get people to come fight you, sometimes you won't. At the end, you'll get a portion of the ISK in, the, in that bank versus the sometimes many billions, maybe even trillions of ISK in the reserve bank that... Sounds like a cool thing to go after, but actually takes quite a bit of work and has already kind of been like you can actually just buy the keys for about the amount of money you're going to mm. make. So it's not really tons of value there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's definitely a balance that we need to we need to find and we need to, you know, figure out, figure out a healthy. Yeah, we need to figure out a healthy balance there. Um, it's one of those features that takes a while to to properly like. Like there's a series of features you need kind of a, a proper amount of time to find kind of equilibrium, kind of where it balances out. Uh, and I think the I think the main bank is, is getting to a point where you know we can we can start to talk about it more more uh, yeah with with better insights. Yeah, I, I, it's a great feature concept. I think the power fantasy behind it, the the bank robbing a very high risk high reward pvp activity is very very cool very attractive to a lot of players but its current implementation doesn't quite match the the thrill that that could potentially be there so i i, I agree i think it's probably ripe for iteration when you guys feel it's time yeah and it is a tricky thing because the keys drop i mean the drop rate isn't isn't that great so you can kind of it's the seller that completely controls the market, but yeah, it's a, it's something that we need to we need to dive into, and it's a it's definitely going to be one of those topics uh, that players are going to be talking to us a lot about during FanFest, and that's usually a great moment to really dig deep into these into these things and and kind of get people's perspectives on it because there are, you know there are as many perspectives perspectives as there are players. Um, though we hear this feedback, you know, loud and clear. I'll take a, a rare thing where I'll pitch a specific idea. I usually don't do this on the show, but I actually think it'd be cool. Uh, don't reply. Just throwing it out there into the universe. I was going to say. Have the key drop <laughs> tied to the ES. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm just throwing it out into the universe. Uh, when you raid the bank um, for the, the smaller payout, that drops a key. So you can only, or, or, well, I mean, you guess you could sell it, but presumably you would rob banks that you have had a little bit of time hacking before. That could be fun. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> uh, let's talk tax. So ESS is kind of a system tax in the game where if you're at too much in the one place, you, you don't make, potentially don't make all the money. But there's also, of course, NPC taxes, and a very big topic that's come up has been player taxes, Specifically highlighting, and this has been an issue for many, many years, just how much of EVE's economic activity is not possible to automated 
to have an automated corp tax around. And it's gotten, I think, more acute with the release of abyssals and the revamp and increased popularity of mining, both of which are not effectively taxable. You can kind of tax mining, but it's a bit convoluted um, with the the UI of uh, structures and how services have a tax, and then you can put a player tax on it, but it's a percent of a percent. It's not very intuitive, either when you're setting it up or when you're interacting with it. So um, I imagine this might be something that we talk about at FanFest, or if not, I'm sure you'll have a lot of players wanting to talk to you about it at FanFest. Talk to us about how you're thinking of of bottom-up income in EVE now that the game has evolved so much from when the corporation taxes were initially put in. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge topic, and it's a, it's a, it's a fairly complex topic to talk about. And in many ways, it's like, you know, FanFest is a great, is a great moment to talk about things like this. It's a, I mean, you can almost, almost view this as like a Davos type, you know, masterclass topic. And, you know, this is, this is, (laughs) this is definitely one of those, one of those moments where like, you know, colleagues from other gaming, gaming studios or, or, or even politicians that we talk to, like, no one believes me how interested our players are in taxes. Like no one is interested in taxes, you know, apart from Eve players. Um, but yeah, it's true. The the uh, the corporate taxes have taken a, a hit with you know new playstyles and new new ways of of making income. Um, and there is no like simple solution to this. Like you don't you know, I, I doubt that we want to go into a, a kind of, you know, an, an annual or monthly income tax, you know, system or anything like that. Like, I think that's, that, that would just kind of take it, I think that would take the game to dark places. <laughs> um, but, you know, corporations, they, they, I mean, they need their share to run their programs. I mean, if they, if you want to have a, secret replacement program and, and everyone in your corp is doing abysms. Like it's it kind of that, that calculation doesn't add up. So this is something that I, I yeah, I definitely want to, I would love to, to hear what people, uh, where people's thoughts are at and, and kind of how bigger corporations have been dealing with this, because I know that, you know, there are big corporations that have honorary rules about uh, income from these untaxable um um, play styles. Uh, well, that's the interesting thing about it. You know, you'd think EVE players or just anyone really doesn't want to pay taxes. But in my experience, when the corp needs something, people tend to open their wallets and, and donate. The issue is that when you go to that model, it, it's not super fair or equitable. Some people are able to donate a lot more than others. And it's also very, um, I don't know, just takes time it's inefficient whereas when you think about the the automated tax thing it's very great every 15 minutes you're NPCing, boom a little portion of the income is automatically put in could not be simpler absolutely um, I, I have been extremely greedy and i'm extremely liberal when it comes to my own taxation when playing eve I'll fully admit that I've done calculations on what it would cost me to set up an alt uh, uh, to get around paying my corp taxes. Uh, this, is, this is many years ago when the, the only real PvE content at the time was like no second novelist, but uh, 
yeah, like you also have to consider the fact, like if 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 you're like what happens when, um, let's say you lock in and you just wanna like play even make some money today, but your corporation has a fleet that they set taxes to hundred percent because they they want you to join. Like, do you just lock off and stop playing the game? Uh, because like that happens uh, and that has for many years. So there are factors to consider when it comes to uh, how aggressively we want to allow taxation, um, and just like what are the what are the benefits for the the collective uh, when it comes to this, and like a good way to a fair way to implement it. Yeah, but I mean, this is something that that uh, yeah, Paragon. I mean, you're absolutely right, but it's super interesting how this oftentimes ends up self-regulating in in many ways, and. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I, I, I agree with you, Alec, that, you know, asking for donations is also just, like, there is just a mental barrier to, like, go out and, like, beg for money. But, I mean, we've seen it, you know, with the war bonds in, in World War B2. Like, there is a lot of will to participate in this. And I think, I think there are interesting opportunities to set up systems where we could kind of support gameplay like this uh, in more uh, effective ways. Um, but yeah, this this taxation conversation is a very interesting topic that I think we could, yeah, we could, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here. There's a lot of options here. Uh, but I think it's it's one of those things that, you know, you really need to hear it from kind of corporation leaders and corporation, like real corporation leaders, um, you know, what, how, how we can make their lives better and, and how can we you know how can we improve this because we could i think there's a lot of like guesstimation we could do but but yeah it's kind of it's where the rubber hits the road kind of a, a topic yeah, yeah the war bonds thing was super interesting as well because you had two sides who who did the same thing and like and like one of them appeared to be like very successful at handling it and the other not so much at least from the outside view uh and just uh yeah like uh raising like uh getting a good way to like raise funds collectively for a big collective uh, like objective is cool i think so like that's that's the thing i look most forward to seeing as to what comes out of this it's interesting you bring that up it's almost like there are two problems to solve and i, I don't think it's ever going to go away that players might feign, find themselves in extraordinary circumstances or they need a lot of money fast or in some kind of emergency war situation. And I don't, I sort of think of the tax system a little bit differently. It's more of the day-to-day operations fund. Whereas, you know, let's take a group like ours. We don't have a huge tax base. Most of our players make money through abyssals. So uh, when it comes time to like just stock the SRP wallet, we've often relied on either doing weekends where we're like, okay, everybody just donate everything you make this weekend. It's not popular. People don't like to do it. Or we just say, hey, we're trying to raise X amount of ISK to stock us up for the next couple months. Is anyone willing to donate? And, you know, that shouldn't, people shouldn't need to do that for like their day-to-day operating costs. This is a fun corporation leadership problem, which I faced myself many times in you. (laughs) So... I I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I guess it's a bit on us. We take a lot of contract money in, but we pay all that money out to the players. That's a leadership choice that I'm making, but 
at the same time, like, you know, <laughs> I know that they PVE from time to time and it would be nice to like be able to set some percentage of that, whatever might be considered fair by the rest of the members and like be able to make plans around that and like forecasting around that. Well, that sort of basic economic stuff that we're able to do in the real world. Mm. But just as a, you know, out of curiosity, like how would, how would you, for instance, you know, how would you see kind of an abyssal that space income stream uh, taxed? Um, how does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there, there's two elements to it. One is like, you know, if it, if it was to show up on some kind of kill mail, for instance, what value does the system assign to it? But I think the more valuable thing, especially for abyssals is what, what is the market value of it at a given time? I don't know the best way to go about it, but I I think either taxing it at the point of extraction from when it comes out of abyssal space, or I don't, I don't even know how you would technically implement this, but some kind of like corporate sales tax where maybe you get like a fraction of a percentage of whatever is sold by your members. I don't know. I don't know what the technical options would be, but but those seem to be the two natural points of taxation for me when it comes out of the abyssal space and when it's converted from uh, from items to isk value. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because it's then you're basically, I mean if you do a corporate uh, uh, sales tax, I mean then you're then you're basically doing a, a taxation on on all loot drops. Yeah, it would have a lot of um, a lot of uh, collateral damage around that, so I don't know if that's really the best way. But as far as as far as when, I mean, ideally, if you once you jump out of abyssal space, you know what's in your cargo, what what, it, what a record of what dropped to you or something like this. I don't know, like a loot ledger. Yeah, like a loot ledger. Maybe the taxes off of that, and then you'd probably pull the values from some kind of aggregator of its market price at the time or within a certain period of time kind of index you have to fill like yeah force people to fill their taxes and hunt them into the corporations <laughs> hunt in the loot ledger for this month <laughs> <laughs> well the thing about the ledger is like mining ledger it's it's information you can use it but that feels real bad to like go to people and be like oh you mined 200 million this month give me 10 mil what if I don't? Well, I don't know. Am I going to kick you out of the alliance for that? Oh. It's better to just like have it be paid somehow at the moment. But there's definitely like a play it's... style for, for someone, like a energy vampire type uh, player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I've first had seen uh, like the, with a new mining ledger where it's someone, it goes through the trouble of like, uh, like collecting everything that's mined as a collective and then distribute uh, payments to everyone. And he does like the taxes of uh, like what everyone mined, like what the, what the market value is. And then he pays you and he like takes care of everything. So like the, the mining accountant is definitely a career in need. Absolutely. Well, currently tax on mining, at least when we were doing it in great wildlands was on the market buy. So you would like put up, a buy order that's some percentage of the G to buy order. And then it would kind of be on the corporation to then refine and export or sometimes just export if you're buying the minerals themselves. 
And then like, that's great. People get the instant payout. You kind of get a bit of tax off of that. The downside is it's incredible amount of logistics work to make that happen. And it requires you to have a functioning market, which is either very geographically dependent or extremely expensive. If you're doing with the Citadels, they're really pricey to run. It kind of undercuts a lot of the value of doing it in the first place. That's why you need a good accountant. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of members that don't mind being accounted, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's let's get out of this icky PvE stuff. Let's talk about some PvP. Uh, this is definitely a burger question. Um, so there was mention that there's uh, you kind of see a natural progression between battleships, marauders, and dreadnoughts. And I agree with you. And I also agree that it's super cool. However... Um, I'm curious about the progressions for faxes and for carriers. For fax, you kind of have your frigate logy, your cruiser logy, and then there's like a faction battleship, the Nestor, but it's kind of a unicorn. It doesn't really have a ship line around it. And then it's to fax. And for carriers, I could not describe what the progression is unless you're a Galenti player. What do you see the the skill progression or the, the player power narrative progression for the other capital ship lines besides the dread and obviously if it's not something that exists now where do you want to move it toward um i mean this is a we have so many of these bizarre i don't want to call them bizarre we have a lot of like vacancies in our progression lines um i mean we've been talking a lot about mining and and my yeah, we've been talking a lot about mining and the progression in progression in in the mining ships is a is a very strange one, especially like when you because we've been looking at it so much from from new players' point of view, where you have uh, a venture, a frigate, and then you kind of you know you you go up to the to the the barges and it sets a it sets a massive jump um, going yeah, I mean skill point wise and and everything. Um, so there is a you know there's a big vacancy there, and I think this is something that we're constantly we're constantly like it's something that's constantly behind our ears, but we we these are things that we haven't really we haven't really had time to to double down and and really dig deep into um what we've been focusing more on over the last two years is more kind of giving each ship class more of kind of identification. So, you know, with the frigate escape bay or 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 uh, or the the um, the clone bay and you know just kind of trying to trying to strengthen the identity of each class. Um, on the capitals themselves uh, I'm totally drawing a blank here. Sorry, I'm like it's like <laughs> so the it's a pregnant pause right there. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, it's like um, yeah, the capitals are they're interesting, especially especially the fax, which is a ship which's been pretty pretty like altified. So if you like, if you're like 
which is something that is is like something I don't like. So right now it's really easy to play facts. You there's no compad refit like that was removed. Um, you can just fly with the rest of your super caps and just drop a drop an alt. Uh, into a fax, and it's often a requirement, even for for many alliances, to to bring that ship as an alt. So I'm not sure if you're trying to hint at like battleship logic uh, here in the setup. No, not not specifically. I, I just, I mean, if the Nestor didn't exist, there really yeah. wouldn't be any any middle ground at all. Yeah. I, yeah. Like. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. I, I mean. It, it, the Nestor actually came out of a very interesting times where we were, you know, kind of moving away from. We used to, so we used to, uh, kind of the development strategy on on new ships in Eve was very much like do one for each empire. Um, but the the problem with kind of doing that, I mean, the the good thing about that is like each empire kind of built up a ship alignment and kind of a a play style throughout. Um, yeah, throughout their ship lines. But the issue became that, like, you know, just from a pure production point of view, like, doing four ships that kind of all do the same thing, or, you know, give or take, all do kind of the same thing with some characteristics, uh, it just became extremely cumbersome and difficult uh, for the art team to, to produce. And what ended up happening is that we were basically just doing kind of four times fewer ships than we than we kind of initially wanted. So that's kind of uh, where this, you know, from a very kind of boring sausage factory point of view, I mean, that's kind of where, where we started gravitating more towards, you know, the Mortu ships or the Sisters of Eve ships or the Ore ship line, um, and then later, of course, mm-hmm. the Triglavian ships. So that's kind of the, the very, very b- boring answer to not necessarily answer to the question, but kind of how we how we went uh, how we started kind of going down this road. The interesting thing starting to kind of work in this way uh, was that it started allowing us to test way different types of of uh, of gameplay and kind of module use and play styles. Um, but of course, at the cost of of you know you having to to, to specialize maybe further away from your initial, you know, your initial uh, setup and your, your skill progression. Um, but it definitely allowed us to, to push way further and test out way more different tactics and, and, and uh, uh, outfits. Uh, there has been like a lot of, co- like we've, we've there's a, there have been a lot of internal conversations about you know, scaling abilities from from lower classes to higher classes, or or vice versa, um, and you know we we sometimes kind of see that that come to fruition. But uh, you know, there's a lot of ships that have have not seen the day of of light, and there's a lot of ideas that have uh, we have not you know executed on. And I think there's a lot of ships in Eve that that you know are yet to be created. Yeah, shout out to the heavy bomber idea I've heard brought up at a couple panels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the I, Tech I, Two battle cruiser with with a crazy cap torps or whatever people want it to be, but I like the idea. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Logi especially is uh, something 
where like the function of it is just like it heals damage and like i've i love flying logic and uh, if i can sling a, a triage into the field uh, i'll happily do it uh, i think it's a lot of fun but you have in other classes, you have such like you have specialized roles. Like you'll bring Alachesis for long points. You'll bring like a Loki or a Hugin or something for webs. Like uh, maybe there could be instead of making uh, like in just in support ships in general. Like maybe there's something in there that doesn't necessarily have to be like a a bigger ship that heals more, being the support progression. Like maybe there's just something that we haven't thought of yet, but. Yeah. Uh, like uh, I don't know, like a uh, boost to resist, just a spitball, something, just uh, like something that does something a little bit different than just heal, being a part of that progression line. Yeah, I think the. I mean, I I definitely identify with what Berger's talking about. Where you know, if you have to make one for every race, it's it's quite a lift. And I I do agree that there's like, does every race need a Lachesis equivalent so that every race can long point? No, probably yeah. not. I think one of the downsides about the Nestor, though, is because it's a faction and because it's in, and especially now with battleships being buffed and getting the MJD bonus, they're going to need MJDing Lodgy to keep up with them. So the Nestor has like a supply and demand problem where it's it's price point and availability throughout the game. Uh it's just not as matched by like the availability of a rapier or the availability of a Lachesis where there's a lot of demand for those things, but it's demand that could be met and the price point isn't too insane. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's, that's, that, that's a very valid concern. And I mean, that's a, that's a concern that like a lot of the faction ships are, are receiving with a lot of faction ships. But I think actually on the, on just Lottie in general, um, a, a cool little side note. So with the, with the mining operations, um, if you have good standings with the with the mining operation that you're close by, the uh, the backup fleets that show up will actually wrap you. And uh, I mean, we've seen we've seen this uh, we've seen Suetonia kind of play these fleets for stream these fleets where he's basically baiting people and and having the backup fleets uh, kill them. Um, but this was actually when we developed this, like the, the thought was very much, you know, the thought was very much kind of trying to figure out a way how you could play more with NPCs. And some of the things that we've been talking a lot about in the new player experience work is how can we actually use this technology to, to start teaching players about, you know, Lodzi early on. Because, you know, flying Lodzi is actually something that, that can be really great for new players to do if they're flying. I mean, not of course maybe in, in high stakes fights, but it's definitely something that you know if you're flying with a couple of friends and, and you've been playing the game for a couple of weeks, you can go out and do do some basic stuff to support. Um, so this is something that we definitely want to kind of shine more light on because it's a it's a very important professional need and and you know oftentimes unsung heroes of of you eat another lot of pants. Absolutely. Uh, this is also a capship question, but a bit more focused. Uh, carrier specifically, and I, I guess maybe this is more for Burger. Uh, what is the power fantasy for carriers? If say you know battleships, they're getting a major buff. I think dreads have a very clear role. Uh, faxes also have a very clear role. 
But with carriers, it feels like damage-wise, they're outclassed by dreads. Mobility-wise, uh, I mean, they have the fighters, but battleships are about to become a lot more mobile. What is a carrier supposed to do? Why would you bring one instead of a dread or a fax or a battleship? Yeah, I mean, definitely with the with the battleship chains, like the carriers are are. Oh, and I'll also say that uh, we're we're about to see, or at least it's been heavily hinted, the removal of what, what is commonly known as sky netting, where they're sitting in tether and projecting their fighters at ridiculous ranges. <laughs> at least the tether part of that is likely to go away. Yeah, I mean. Which is good. Um, So, yeah, I mean, carriers are definitely, uh, especially after the battleship chains, I think think carriers are, you know, we're definitely going to, there's definitely a spotlight on carriers. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, our strategy for balance uh, since kind of late 2019, when we started the more rapid releases, uh, our strategy has definitely not been to try to find the perfect balance between all the ships like we have allowed for more imbalance and we have allowed for ships becoming you know little too op or or even some classes to become you know kind of underwhelming uh, and then as time progresses you know allowed them then to be be balanced back and in many ways like you can say that that has happened to to battleships or you know, a longer period of time, they've become more more expensive and kind of harder and harder to justify them. And all of a sudden, now with this change, they're kind of definitely coming back into the limelight. Um, so our goal is has not been to kind of lock ourselves in a room and come out with the perfect perfect balance. Or you know, we've much we much rather want to work more iteratively, work faster, and roll things out and and. Um, of course, not do them random. We're not doing this randomly, but more allowing for emergent gameplay to to happen. You know, sometimes these you know classes that are are being underserved have found a new purpose. Um, but in other cases, like you know, they have they have kind of fallen fallen behind and uh, needed a relook at. Um, and yeah, I mean, carriers are definitely going to be the ones that that. Uh, will fall behind now. Uh, I I feel a little sad for carriers. I mean, with um, yeah, when with the with the recloning, um, we actually doubled the size of of uh, super carriers. So they because they used to be kind of similar sized, but now their super carriers are proper sized, and sadly, carriers were like sad carriers were left behind, even smaller, and now kind of. More powerless, so yeah, we'll see what what happens to them. And I don't mean to. I'm I'm not trying to say like they should be better than than X ship or Y ship. I'm I'm thinking more conceptually when you think creatively about the ecosystem and Eve and what players should aspire to to be and do. Yeah. What do you see the the carrier is representing in that world? I'm I'm asking, I guess, for more of like a a, a conceptual high level answer rather than like any specific numbers or of game feature that they're going to be able to use. Yes. If I could steal this. But yeah, oh yeah. no. So what I actually see kind of in my in in the so on, on kind of a high level what I am very interested in is kind of how can uh character that you can you're basically uh you know operating two characters at the same time. And I think there's 
you know, in a, if we're just kind of in a very high, talking very high level, I think there's a very interesting, I think there's a very interesting uh, opportunity in the, you know, most of us fly, you know, have multiple char- multiple characters um, and, you know, often fly them at the same time. And like, how is that world, you know, within a single client? Like, what is a, what is a stack after fighters where you can, you know, maybe maneuver your alts uh, rather than fighters. Or maybe you can, you know, you can up the, the pilots of the, you know, who are flying these fighters. Or, or are these fighters even something bigger than fighters? So that's kind of where my long-term dream and why I'm very interested in carriers and super carriers. And I think there's a, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of opportunity space there that we haven't really explored um, that I think, yeah, are, are a lot of opportunities, but nothing that I'm promising for FanFest or, or, you know, this is more long-term, no, no. me kind of thinking long-term. But I think there's a very, there's a very nice progression story there on, on kind of, yeah, controlling others. So if I can mirror it back to you, like what I'm hearing is that you, you see carriers as... Uh, a goal for players that think maybe in more of like the RTS style where they're at a, they're kind of zoomed out above the battlefield, remotely controlling multiple things to do stuff, whatever stuff is balance wise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they are definitely the carriers are definitely the closest thing to, to an RTS and E, and that's like, I mean that's when we yeah when we redid the the camera and we kind of redid the tactical overview. I mean that was done from a carrier's point of view. Like that was the kind of the dream of like what is that that submarine game where you're you know you're throwing out small kind of scout submarines looking for for something you know and and I think there is I think there are interesting opportunities even outside just combat. You know, I think we could we could spend the whole night talking about, you know, what is an what is an exploration career. And yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, if one really exciting end game for that would be, what if you know you're interacting with a carrier on like other grids where your actual ship isn't, but maybe you have your remote units other places in the solar system. Yeah. That's super, super cool. cool. Yeah, even like you know, what would happen if you could? What would happen if you could like send your send your subordinates or fighters or whatever you want to call them like through a wormhole or through a gate? Like Ooh. just just you know, if you're if you're talking this high level and this far future, this feels like a second beer at Funfest kind of a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> right for a couple shots down the line oh, I have a great idea I have a better idea <laughs> but no that's that's cool I mean uh, the aircraft carrier in the in the real world is uh, you know such a dominant yeah. figure in modern warfare it it makes sense that that role would change a lot in a future space environment but like conceptually uh, I think it's it's proven it's tactical value and certainly from the the point of view of the context of Eve being a video game people would expect to see aircraft carrier equivalents in their space game that they can go do 
because it's a it's a yeah. warfare thing that people want to and the cool experience thing about the aircraft carrier is that you know they don't have perfect intel on exactly you know what the you know the fighters or even the or the drones uh that is sent out i mean they have you know they have camera feed from these from these uh f- drones and they have satellite you know locations but it's not i mean it's maybe 70% perfect or 60% perfect but it's still like there's a lot of unknown in there and you know you can sneak up on them and stuff like that so there is a i think there's a lot to be lot to explore you know at a future point when it comes to to carrier sleeve i think imperfect information eve is is itself a very exciting gameplay concept that there's a lot of potential there to do more absolutely. with absolutely i think uh, absolutely and i think imperfect uh yeah, perfect information is is. Yeah, I mean, I think that can actually be the enemy of the game in many ways. The enemy of interaction, certainly. Like, if if you know everything and you know exactly how it's going to play out, if it doesn't play out in your favor, why would you do it? Yeah, why would you lock in? Why would you even risk it? Right. There's got to be some element of the unknown, some element of you know, if you're on the losing side, some element of of chance that you can overcome, and if you're on the winning side some opportunity for defeat to like creep up behind you in a way you don't expect. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's what the fun is. Like when you, when you strike, when you strike gold, like when that, yeah, when that like idiot jumps through the gate and he's on autopilot because he went, ran to the toilet and you just kind of get that perfect, yeah, that perfect hunt. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're we're running low on the time here. I do want to ask you one question, Berger, before we go. Uh, I'm, things I'm not going to ask Berger about, audience, is the changes to the upwell structures, because I know that's going to be a big thing for probably the FanFest presentation. I'm sure we're going to see, based on what I've heard, something about their combat capabilities, perhaps something about their reinforcement or weapons, perhaps something about um, the economic balancing around them, either at FanFest or maybe sometime this year or next year. It sounds like that's at least on CCP's radar. Not going to talk about that. Uh, likewise, there's been some EFT Eve news. Uh, while I do want to ask about it, I feel like it's a bit early for them to actually say anything that we're going to be able to, to chew on. So uh, in fairness to Berger and Paragon, are both very generous with their time. I'm going to ask a bit of a wrap-up question for Berger. Uh, you've talked a lot about how you're a bit nervous with the keynote. Um, <laughs> that it's and obviously, you know, the first FanFest keynote in like three years. That's mm. a pretty big deal. Yeah. So, um, how are you feeling right now about it? And could you talk a little bit about your presentation style and how you're thinking about balancing reveals versus recaps of things you've done versus talking about the high level vision and roadmap of Eve? And uh, I think the the death of the quadrant is happening also where, how does that factor in? Uh, yeah. So I'm super excited. I, I, I love, I love FanFest so much and I love these player events so much. And, you know, I've, I've had, I've had great keynote talks and I've had really bad keynote talks. Um, you know, public speaking is, uh, it's not the easiest thing in the universe. Um, but you know, I, I, I've started to to learn to love them. Uh, the balance of the 
these keynotes, it always varies a little bit. And, you know, you, you need to find, you know, finding that perfect balance between then and now and future is a, is a very tricky conversation. Uh, there is definitely going to be some looking back. There is always some looking back. And there is always like, um, there is so much, you know, we can learn from the 19-year 19, 19 history of EVE. Um, and there is so much that you know, so much inspiration that we're taking from it. So it's 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 oftentimes very beneficial of looking back and seeing kind of what had, what was before, uh, to kind of give better context to to the now and the future. Um, there will definitely be some reveals at FanFest. Like that FanFest wouldn't be it wouldn't be FanFest without some reveals. And there are going to be some pretty cool things that I'm I'm super excited to talk about. And uh, there's also going to be like kind of deeper, long-standing conversations that, that we will continue and, and kind of dig deeper into and, and take stock. Um, and then we want to talk about the future. And we definitely want to talk about the future in, 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 in a little more detail, in more detail than we've done in, in maybe, you know, in the World Tour in 2019 and um, back then. We were kind of very focused on, on the now and, and the past. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting balance that we're you know I don't think I will ever find the the golden ratio of of uh, past present and future but plenty to talk about and really excited to to uh, share some of this stuff with you guys in May. Yeah, I'm very pumped. I'm very excited. I'm going to be there live for it. All right, let's move into our host highlights. Uh, for me, I, I already told the, told the story this morning, but I, I needed to tell it again. It was so much fun, and this ties back to the, our ESS fun that we, we had, Burger. So we took the fleet out. Uh, this was actually a contract fleet about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, we took a small Harbinger fleet. I think we had mm, like 15 people, something like this. Uh, I actually think it was 17. Um Mixed Harbingers, Execurs, we had one Interdictor, and we had myself in a, um, a pre-buff Typhoon. <laughs> so just, just a regular old cruise Typhoon. We went out looking for fights in Southern Geminate. Uh, we went to ESS Grid. We didn't actually go inside. Um, we fought a fairly sizable, um, what do you call it, a Cerberus fleet. And then as we're fighting the Cerberus fleet, a big Spectre Fleet Raptor Fleet lands on the grid, and we're like, oh, are they going to go after the Serbs, which are kiting us around, and they'll do pretty good, or are they going to brawl with us? And I guess we were closer, because they went in on us. So all of a sudden, we're like fighting 45 people at the same time. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and it's, it's the new um, Attack Interceptor Raptors, so they have pretty good damage, but not a lot of tank. It's like the inverse of an Assault Frigate. Uh, so we're assisting drones to our heretic and we're just, and he's an academy pilot. So he's, he's like a relatively newer player. We're just like, don't, we're not going to call targets. They're too small. They're dying really fast. Just like do your thing. We're going to keep you alive. Here's all of our drones. Just go. I think he killed a dozen crows or uh, raptors or something like this. It's just, you look at his kill board. It's this raptor, 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 raptor from all these big alliances. <laughs> And meanwhile, we're trying to 
uh, kill some of the larger things, try to take out any Lodgy that we could see, try to take out Cerberuses. Uh, I'm trying to force off E-War and stuff. It, it's very chaotic, messy grid with uh, people warping in and out. The ESS thing is bubbled. It's an ESS grid, so you can't warp on the grid itself. So everyone's all spread out. It was very crazy, very fun. We wound up, I have no idea how our Lodgy held up against all those Raptors, but somehow we did. I think we lost one ship for that fight and managed to kill just a ton of stuff. And then as we're trying to pack it up, the service fleet that we fought and killed a big chunk of them, they went and refit to remote rep Drekovix with those Armazets and put the very, very tanky Triglavian feet right on top of our faces. And we <laughs> almost broke this arm and we almost broke one of the Drex. But of course, the Triglavian reps, they spin up. The damage spins up before we knew it. We were we were uh, in well over our heads and we ended up losing the fleet. But it was an incredibly insane, extremely fun fight. It went on for a really long time. And I think we did 1.1 bill in loss versus 1.7 in damage. And the official battle report is crazy, like 17 versus 60 or something like that. Wow. It was nice. absolutely wild. One of the craziest fights I've ever seen. I... I was like, if it if I had been FCing, I probably would have worked this out when that Raptor fleet landed. But our the FC we had was a little crazier than I was. It's like, no, we're gonna fight it out. It's like, oh shit, here we go. Oh, wild! Wow, Fun. way to like pave over our highlights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Paragon. Good. I'm sure you had something that was just as good. Mine is <laughs> slightly shorter, uh, so. Not that long ago, me and uh, Swift were, were blobsing. And uh, this is a story of either A, never stand up from your computer, or B, uh, buy wireless headphones. So we've been blobsing all days, but we've been going out for hours. And uh, we it had been pretty dry for the past hour. We were sitting there hunting, fighting nothing. And uh, Swift's like, oh, I'm going to stand up just a moment. I'll be back. And as soon as he says that, uh, we fight the Orca and we kill him. And then as soon as he's dead, he comes back. And he is he was very sad that he didn't get on the Orca. Uh, but I just wanted to remind him of that so he can be sad again, uh, missing that Orca kill. But that was fun. I can't wait to uh, to do some more blobsing in, in overpowered uh, bulky blobs. Oh, and uh, for, ever, for everyone wanted to know the amount of time we fought on that ESS grid for nearly an hour nonstop. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a long time for a subcap brawl. I once ran out of ammo in a fight. <laughs> it was uh, it was pre-surgical strike nerf. Uh, we, we caught uh, two phoenixes in a wormhole doing couple escalations. And uh, we were shooting them with like 20 people, and we couldn't break them. So we ran out of ammo, and we had to send haulers through the chain, like 10 <laughs> jumps, with ammo. And they it's the only time this ever happened to me, Eve. We ran out of ammo. So we had to, like, it became a logistics issue in the middle of the fight to send haulers with ammo to uh, come drop ammo. And we that's, eventually broke it. That's low-key amazing. I love it. It was uh, it was pretty long. It was like an hour and a half, I think, in, in no title, of course, but it was ridiculous. Burger, I'm told your highlight comes from the abyss. Yeah, today. so 
I've been, uh, I flew with, uh, I went on a stream with Astorothy um, around New Year's 2019, I think, or maybe 2020. It was probably 2019, 2020. Um, and I basically just asked him to to kind of teach me his Eve Online, like, you know, show me how, how he played Eve Online. We were going to stream for like one hour, end up streaming for four hours. So we definitely need to do, definitely need to do that again. Um, and, you know, we started out doing a couple of, of uh, Destroyer RPC Dead Space uh, runs. And, you know, he gave me a couple of uh, Dragoons and stuff like that. And, and then we went kind of just worm, wormhole hopping and, and enjoying wormholes. So since then, you know, yeah, it was 2019, 2020. Um, so since the pandemic hit, I've basically just I moved into wormholes and I just started getting lost in wormholes in my beautiful Astero and and not using any public bookmarks, trying to read as little as I can uh, about wormholes and what these gate names actually mean um, or wormhole names actually mean, and just being lost. And I've I've really enjoyed it and I've uh, made a decent amount of money. Lost a decent amount of ships uh, but all good but last week we decided like a couple of guys at the office to to really start to make our uh, balance sheets look better after our end of year videos looked horrible so we returned to, to uh, abyss of dead space um, in frigates and destroyers and it's been horrible it's been so much fun and we have died so much um, I went out with a with a UI designer um, on Friday in my Dragoon that I got from Astrothi that was, I think, fit for dark filaments, uh, but of course it went into a Firestorm filament. Uh, oh. He fitted a ship randomly, I think, from Community Fittings um, that was made for PvP. Um, so yeah, we were very ill-fitted in, in a Firestorm <coughs> I'm not even going to say the tier, but it was a low tier. Uh, got a wonderful, uh, wonderful rogue drone spawn that they were way too quick for us. And they just chewed through us in 20 minutes and we couldn't do anything. It was just really sad, but hilarious. And yeah, yeah. so my balance sheet for next year, if I keep this up, I think my balance sheet for for next year might actually look worse than this year but i'm gonna have hell hell of hell of a lot of fun um um losing all that money <laughs> this reminds me of the story when uh, me and swift tried to do the crap on lockstein <laughs> but that's a story for fun fest <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome all right, uh, we're going to get into some shout-outs here. I want to give special shout-outs to all of our Golden Elite Patreon supporters, Acer Card, Bodie Wilson, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, and the newly joining us, Tane Tengu. Thank you so much, guys. Your support is absolutely invaluable for this show, and I, I love you to death. <laughs> uh, I also want to give a shout-out to our Anger Game scrim partners. We just had our first Anger Game scrim this past weekend, and we're going to try to be doing one every week from now till the Anger Games. We are in the Anger Games. We're very excited. And uh, I don't even know everyone that we're going to be scrimming against, so this is just kind of a blanket thank you in advance if you're scrimming the network. Uh, it's really appreciated. Thank you very much. Paragon? Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the CSM. 
who I've uh, recently started to work with professionally. They they are uh, phenomenal individuals uh, who are super passionate about this game and its well-being. Uh, this comes from just seeing Brisk plastered on Reddit today. <laughs> so it's not all uh, rainbows and unicorns uh, <laughs> for them as well. Yeah, but uh, uh, seeing some of the stuff they do is uh, it's really good. So just thanks, thanks guys. You haven't been on the CSM until you've had a death threat. There you go. Burger, you want to close this yeah, out? Yeah, I mean, I want to give a, like Paragon, a massive shout out to the CSM. Uh, of course, shout out to to the dev team that's working working hard towards um, all the awesomeness awesomeness that we're rolling out from now until FanFest and then then FanFest. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to to uh, all the awesome uh, capsuleers coming to FanFest. Uh, can't wait to see you. Can't wait to drink beer with you. Can't wait to hang out and and just shoot the shit and and talk shop. Um, and then I want to give a special shout out to my my awesome friends in uh, uh, in Arataki uh, Research Institution. I think, uh, yeah, can't wait to see you guys soon. And and yeah, see you in space. That's it, guys. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in this show's poll. We do a poll for every show. Uh, you can also check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash AlexeFK to leave a comment on the show highlight that we've uploaded there. Best comments get skins. And everyone, NAR is recruiting. We had paused NAR recruitment because of our long contract. We've kicked out some inactives. We've had a few people leave the corp. Uh, we've actually had uh, a split. If you've been watching our thing on Dotland, Nanocurrency, who honestly we've been interested in very different things for a very long time. They've just decided to go off and do their own thing, which, you know, we totally support and much love to Feral and 10 and everyone in Nanocoin. They've been absolutely awesome. Uh, good, good people, but definitely more interested in like fighting around Tama and stuff like that rather than going on deployments. But that does mean we are looking for more members. So if you're interested in joining NAR, if you're interested in joining the network, reach out to me. You can reach out to me, Alexia Card, directly, or you can also come hang out with us in our in-game channel, Cafe Space Noir Dot. That's Cafe Noir Dot. And there's also a link there to our Discord, so you can come hop on the network Discord, get to know us a little bit. Um, interested in people that specialize in wormholes and Pochman right now. But uh, general interest in small gang warfare is also super welcome, especially members. So uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, whoever you're flying with, and whatever aspect of this much, much anticipated dev blog got you excited and hopeful for the future of the game. Good hunting, listeners.